So we spent that last hour and a half uh, reviewing with Malcolm and his wife uh, some of the things the Lord has called us to do. And so we'll just fill that in with a very quick summary of uh, what the Lord has uh, what the Lord has given us to do. Because I was sitting where you were sitting when I was 16 years old, and a man came to speak in our assembly in Wheaton, Illinois, and he was 96 years old. Sorry, brother. And uh, he was still preaching, and his message was, who's going to take my place? And God's long finger said, you. And nobody else knew about it but uh, the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And uh, didn't know what the result was going to be in the short term or even in the long term. And so uh, two weeks later, a man came to me from our assembly. He said, I go down to the street corners of Chicago and I preach the gospel. I want you to go with me and preach the gospel. Sixteen years old. What could I say? We just uh, talked to the Lord and he had asked for me to surrender myself to him. And uh, what could I say? I said, okay. Uh, he said, I'll give you as much time as you need to prepare a sermon. And uh, so that happened about a month later. And by the grace of God, we're still doing it. And so God has called us to a ministry. Initially, we were in Florida for a couple of years under the umbrella of the Florida Gospel Pioneers. And they um, they invited Jenny and I to come to Florida to help plant the assembly in uh, in Gainesville, Florida. And then from there, we came to help out in Orlando at Hiawassa. And then the Lord moved us to South Carolina, where we uh, shared in the ministry of two local churches. And so um, then I was speaking at a conference in, um, in California at Mount Hermon. And uh, they, uh, a missionary came up and said, we, uh, we would like you to come to Africa and speak at a conference for missionaries. And I looked at him, knowing that he'd been a missionary longer than I had been living. And I thought, what can I say to help you? No, he said, you must come. So he wrote. And in 1982, I had canceled a bunch of responsibilities and went for two months um, in, in Zimbabwe and Botswana and Kenya, Zaire, Rwanda, Burundi, uh, and Congo. And, uh, and then stopped and saw an OM team on the way home and an IT team as well. And I thought, we thought that that was, uh, that was a good opportunity to visit with missionaries that we knew, we prayed for it and, and participated with. But, um, they said, no, we want you to come back. And so in 1985, we, uh, together, Jenny and I started in South Africa together with our uh, youngest son who, I was done a semester at Clemson University in chemical engineering and for two for two for six months we five or six months we started in South Africa visiting missionaries speaking assemblies then Botswana visiting some missionaries and then Zimbabwe and Burundi basically the same places we stayed longer uh, our son learned some of his own spiritual gifts as well uh, he is a uh, a juggler, and so he got out his uh, the balls that he used for juggling, and he would have a four-point sermon uh, with uh, juggling these things, and he learned some of his gifts as well. And so we were asked at that point to come back to Africa and serve as a providing pastoral care for missionaries. When we send a missionary out, what do we do? We say, the Lord... Bless you, and he does. He said, the Lord be with you, and he does. But we will pray for you, and we will support you. But if you go to the upper room discourse, you'll find seven things that the Lord gave his disciples before he sent them out. They're very different than our list of what we, um, what we do when we send out a missionary. So to shorten the story a little bit, we accepted the opportunity. We went to our commending assemblies, one in California, one in New Jersey, in our local assembly in Florence, South Carolina, expressing this desire that the Lord had put on our heart and on the missionaries in, um, in Africa. Uh, if we would commit ourselves to go and live in Africa and travel, providing pastoral care for missionaries. 
And so they agreed that we were called of the Lord to do that and that the 20 years we had spent in a preaching and teaching ministry was preparation for um, for this ministry. And we have found the Lord very faithful in that way. And we travel as a team together, Jenny and I, and uh, she has a wonderful, a very important ministry, often with young missionary mothers who land up on the field and have a couple of children and spend most of their time taking care of the children. And it would be a whole lot easier to do that at home than it would be to do in a third world country. And so Jenny has spent hours and hours and hours with single missionaries and with um, and with missionary mothers. While the husband is out learning the language and preaching the gospel, uh, the missionary mother is at home doing what she could do much easier at home. But the Lord has called her, and Jenny reminds them on many, many occasions that their first missionary uh, commitment is to their family. And there are many missionaries in the past, not so many at the moment, but many in the past who gave up their children in order to do the Lord's work. One missionary said to me as they were leaving Sakeji School, we'll be glad when we get our kids back in school so we can get on with the Lord's work. I felt like saying to him, go home. Your children are your first mission, uh, missionary community. So that's what happened. The Lord called us, George Burwer called and said, look, we, uh, we, we hear you're giving your time to missionaries. And so, um, and so uh, won't you give us some time? So uh, he I said, yes. I said, we'll give you some time. He said, I said, what should we do? He said, well, land up in Mombasa, Kenya. He said, somebody will meet you there. The ship will be in port. And you can spend a couple of months on uh, the Dulos. And so we embarked on that journey from Kenya to Dar es Salaam, from Dar es Salaam to Bombay. And it was 13 and a half days. And my wife was sick for six, 13 and a half days. Told the Lord in no uncertain terms, Lord, if I ever get me off this ship, I will never get on it again. And she's been on the Dulos a dozen times. And the Logos Hope a few times. She's also the one that told the Lord, I'll go any place but India. It's all right, brother. And she's been a dozen times in India. So be careful what you promise the Lord you won't do. So what has the Lord called us to do? It is to minister to missionaries. We sang, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Take it to the Lord in, in what? What is prayer? What do you pray for missionaries? We have been so concerned about what? People pray for missionaries. And I can tell you, the two most common phrases in prayer, not just for missionaries, the two most common phrases in prayer are, Lord, be with. And then you put somebody's name in there. Or, Lord, bless. And then you put somebody's name in there. Bless brother so-and-so as he goes into surgery. Bless sister so-and-so as she goes on a journey. What does the word bless mean? It means to escape any problem, any difficulty, no wrecks. You can't have an accident because believers don't have accidents. They have wrecks. You didn't know that, I can tell. But uh, nothing is by accident in the life of a believer. But we pray that we don't have any trials. But the Lord gave us a promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. How many of you claim that promise today? That's what I thought. We pray against that prayer. But that's what it says. In the world you will, and if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we'll suffer persecution. But we pray they won't perse- get persecuted. So we need to learn to pray. Right? And so praying for missionaries is an important responsibility. And so we wrote a little book called Letters Missionaries Never Write. And it's a prayer guide because the only thing we pray is, Lord, bless be with, guide, direct, and protect. And he does all of those things. Before you even ask him. We might as well say bless all the missionaries out in the foreign field. He's all, they're already blessed. How are we going to pray intelligently, biblically, in a concerned way? Or do we just come and repeat our mantras day after day after day? So we were concerned about that. Sufficiently concerned about enough to... Um, write a daily devotional. I went to the New Testament and I found 500 verses that describe our blessings in Christ. What are, what do I have because I'm in Christ? 
what is mine because I'm in Christ. And uh, began writing a daily devotional, a one-page devotional on the blessings that we have in Christ. And I sent it to uh, some friends of mine. It's January to some of my friends. And one of my best friends from Emmaus said, stick to preaching. He evidently said that, you know, my gift wasn't the gift of writing. But in any case, he wrote a daily devotional. And uh, <clears throat> I'll just leave it at that. And uh, so the result was Emmaus called us and said, we want to publish your book. And so that book is now this book. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. So you wonder what we're doing. We realize that, uh, that, um, that antiquity was catching up with us. And what are we going to do? Um, you know, people talk about their legacy. What's your legacy? Well, I don't have any legacy. But um, I said, if we could get this book into the hands of the Lord's people, they wouldn't be saying to the Lord, be bless, 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 and be with, and be with, and be with. Because there are 500 verses, but there's only 366 days in the calendar. And so we have one for every day, one a day vitamin for the soul. And each one of them ends with a saying, thank you for that gift. And so the, de- the desire is that we don't pray for the missionaries, ask the Lord to be with them and bless them. But that the Lord will hope that, help them, that the Lord will, uh, that they will, God, that will appreciate and appropriate the blessings that God has already given them. The problem is inventory in the Christian life, as it is in business. Some of you are businessmen. Do you know your inventory? I say, if you don't know your inventory, you're a poor businessman. Because you won't have anything to sell if your inventory is only things that are on sale to you. You've got to say, what is the, what is the, what are the people asking for? What are they, what is it going to sell? And then we'll fill the inventory with those things. And so inventory in a spiritual sense will dramatically alter your Christian life. You'll find yourself saying thank you to the Lord far more times than say gimme, gimme, gimme. So praying for missionaries, a booklet that says, um, Letters missionaries never write, and blessings all mine with 10,000 beside comes from the hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, pardon for sin and a peace that endures, thy own dear presence to jeer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. We are to be a thankful people. The more you learn about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the less you ask for. It is appropriating the resources that God has given us. And so it's available in English, in, uh, in a hardback. And um, my, my agreement is if you get one and you, don't, you pay something for it and you don't get your money's worth, you read it faithfully for a year and you don't get your money's worth, you let me know and uh, I'll send you half your money back and you can keep the book. That Rolls Royce out there is the result of my royalties. Last six months it was $14.34. So I'm not in it for that purpose. And so somebody said, well, we need to get it in Spanish. Anybody speak Spanish? Good, come here, this is yours. Can you catch? Okay, good. So it's available in Spanish. Can you read this? And Hindi and Uriya and Canada. That's K and and so forth. And Telugu. And what? Say it. Bangladesh, Canada. Oh, Bangladesh, yeah, um, Bengali. Just finished in Bengali, and somebody's asked if we could do it in um, in uh, Marathi. So we're going to work on Marathi and see if we can get it done for that. So how is it that we do what we do? There are three things that the Lord has uh, helped us understand, and one is we only go by invitation. Brother asked us why, hey, we hadn't been down here in 50 years. And so we only go by invitation. So here we are. 
and delighted to be with you. Somebody invited us to come down to speak to the assembly in Jupiter last Sunday and this coming Sunday, and uh, somebody called and convinced them that, you know, that maybe I could come and encourage you as well. So that's why I'm here, and then I'll be in Boca tomorrow, and then New Jersey and a few other places, and if you'd like to pray for us, we can give you a little schedule of where we expect to be, including I'll be back in India for uh, for a month in October and November, as well as down uh, Orlando, and I don't know, I think some other couple of places, I don't remember where it is. So there are three things that help us understand. One is getting invitations, so we have more invitations than I can fulfill. This year's schedule is full, and, and next year is mostly full, so we keep the opportunity to encourage the Lord's people, as one missionary said, to, um, to challenge and strengthen the missionaries and uh, to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. We've told a number of missionaries to go home. Because they were losing their children. And we've done, between the two of us, carpentry work, plumbing work, electrical work, painting, uh, ministering, teaching, preaching, when places that they don't have clocks, so that that's much more fun. Uh, you have a fast clock down here, I can tell you that. The second thing is good health. And uh, when you travel, we've traveled to 85 countries when you go to those countries. Uh, they serve you food. We went to uh, Japan, and uh, we t- tried to take the missionary out for dinner, and they brought us a nice uh, plate with uh, raw, with uh, bright red meat. I said, what is this? They said, that's raw horse. Then we went to the Philippines and went to a, a what do you call it, a buffet, a, you know, like that. And uh, they had chicken and beef and dog and then all of the vegetables. So we hadn't had a lot of dog, but um, I used to look at dogs differently. Um, but um, dog... Go to, go to Botswana and or Zambia, I guess it was, and they had just harvested the caterpillar uh, harvest, and they they dry that into the, in the sun. It's like rancid peanuts, you know. It's just a little crunchy. Are you all right? <laughs> no, she's not all right. I'm sorry. You want some more crocodile? But the Lord has given us good health. In 30 years of traveling to all those countries, I've never missed a meeting because of sickness. Why? Because some people pray and the Lord will be, I was going to say, be with me. I tell them, don't do that. The Lord is with me. Tell them, thank you, Lord, that you are with him. Asking the Lord to be with me is an exercise in unbelief. Does the Lord laugh or cry when we do that? So if I can get people to say, Lord, thank you for being with the cousins. That's encouraging. So maybe if you are open enough when some brother gets up and asks the Lord to be with you, that you'll interrupt and say, brother, wait wait a minute, he is with us. We were at the Lord's Supper not too long ago, and a man got up and quote that verse, you know, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, and be with us as we worship. I said, what? That's a contradiction. Why would you give that verse when he says, I will be with you, and then turn around and say, Lord, be with us. That's why I say, I wonder if he laughs or cries. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Do you have a question and answer session? Is that allowed? Any questions on uh, missionary concerns? Good. We answered all the questions. Come on, young people. You haven't got a question? vacation in uh, Mumbai or Bombay, and I will have a meeting with them from three to six, have a short meal, and then another meeting for an hour and a half. So three-hour meeting, three-hour message, and then an hour and a half. That's Monday through Saturday. Tell me what we would do that if we we were doing doing that here in in Boulevard, huh? Three, Three to six. So the people in India are just enjoy being with them. Uh, you can live a long time without their food, um, but yes, 
beautiful countries. Um, Switzerland is beautiful. Yes? What does horse taste like? What's what? What does horse taste like? It's very bright. It looks like salmon. It's very, quite, uh, quite tasty. I would say it tastes, hmm, probably tastes like goat. I'm safe. <laughs> All right, yes? I'm a wanderer. It involves getting to know them. Okay? We do not, have, we do not have any agenda. God called us to this. We're invited. So you tell me what you want me to do. I was telling, uh, telling our friends that we had, we were there for a, for a month with a family. And at, after, at the end of a month, we said, you need to go home and, and, and recapture your children. They were losing their children. They were so close to the ministry that they forgot what they needed to do to their children. They went, came home. They adjusted with their children. They're still involved in the ministry, and their children are doing quite well. Uh, we had a missionary who, uh, who had six children. They wanted two more. I said, well, why don't you go home and have them? I mean, you, you spend all of your time in, in, in taking care of your family. There are people that are raising their kids on the field and doing very little missionary work. So it means a, a an open and honest and transparent involvement. But it also means helping them. We've done carpentry work and plumbing and electrical work, painting, babysitting, funerals, weddings. And so we would like to spend long enough to get to know them. We want to stay in their home, not in a motel. There are young people that go for short-term missions trip, but they they expect the missionary to be a tour guide. And they have an unrealistic view of really doing eight hours a day for a week or ten days, uh, labor that would exhaust them. So the Lord has given us amazing strength. We both have excellent help. I'm a little older than you think I am, but I don't have a pain in my body. Not as old as you. I know. (laughs) So each one is different. The amazing thing is that we have planned our schedule uh, three years in advance. And we have landed up in a missionary situation because they invited us. And by the time we got there, it was three years later because the schedule was so full. But God arranged for us to be there for a special crisis in their lives. Scores and scores of times. We didn't plan it. We didn't know what was going, but we landed there and they were going through issues of movement, of change, of uh, development of ministries, of um, criticism, of various things. That's the that, hymn that we sang. We have trials and difficulties, and missionaries are going through those. And to sit down with them and help them is an important part of just pastoral care. And we had we almost every denomination. It has a pastoral care team. Barnabas International is a, uh, tries to help train and, 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 and deal with, with the pastoral care of missionaries, but it's done mainly through the denomination. So that responsibility really belongs to the local church, to the elders of that local church. Now, there's a couple of uh, missionaries from, is it Korea or J- Japan, one or the other, that are Japan, that are in, Z- in uh, Zambia. And every year, somebody from that local assembly goes to that place in Zambia to spend at least a week with those missionaries and see how they're doing. The assembly pays for it, or if it's a husband and wife, they, they will, they will go, go together. That is a very important face-to-face. I know we have cell phones, and we have uh, these things. We used to have cassettes so you could listen, and we have streaming and all of that. But you need to go face-to-face, as the Bible describes we didn't know of anybody who had done what we were doing, what the Lord had called us to do. We, in fact, we were told, why don't you go and be a missionary? And I said, well, the Lord has called us to travel and visit missionaries. And uh, it wasn't until we got hold of the life of Epaphroditus in the book of Philippians that describes what Epaphroditus did to Paul. Paul was in prison. Epaphroditus came as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier, a brother, one who met, one who ministered to my needs. And the Lord said, that's what I want you to do. So it was a step out of, out of a rather comfortable 
situation in, um, in South Carolina to the ends of the earth. We have also been together with OM. We're not under OM, Operation Mobilization, but we have, we've known George Burwer for 60 years and, um, and he has invited us on many occasions to be on the ships and to provide pastoral care for the young people. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It's not the case. No, it's, we've, we've visited missionaries who have never had somebody come from their assembly in 40 years. They send them some money. They say, we'll pray for you. And so they pray, Lord, be with the missionaries. Whoopee. I'm sorry to say that, but whoopee. Yes. In Ghana, uh, we have seen it. I was in a, speaking at a conference uh, in South Africa, and they had a meeting of of a, a group of churches, including the assemblies and some charismatic assemblies, and they had asked me to speak. And it was a large gathering, and one of the pastors came to me and said, "Brother, we're expecting the fire to fall tonight." What would you say? I said to him. A fire only falls on a sacrifice. I mean, the Lord just gave that to me. And I said, if there's no sacrifice for this meeting, we can't expect the fire to fall. But those are the kind of things that, and I, I don't suppose you should be that pointed, but, um, the Lord, yes, it's, it's, but the charismatic movement demands a new and fresh explosion of attitudes and emotions and so forth. And so what happened in Toronto is no longer big deal. And so the change has to take place because it's not founded in the Word of God or in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Eleven minutes. Nobody said amen. Are you an amen saying, church? Ephesians chapter 1 And Ephesians chapter 1 gives us a list of 14 blessings that are ours in Christ. I don't want to talk about them because they're all mentioned in this book. But when we look at that book and we realize that uh, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside is the hymn, we can be so occupied with the idea of our blessings. We should be. We should be occupied with those blessings because He is what He is. When we ask the Lord the question, you're charismatic and you want to hold up your hands. I got it! Every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly Correct. Ephesians 1 3. That's right. Every. Every. The blessed God has blessed us with blessings. Then why do we ask Him to bless us? Why do we ask Him to bless the Lord's people? Habit? Ignorance? Unbelief. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Those blessings are mine. And He spends His time in the first part of this chapter explaining what these blessings are. These blessings are found in Christ. If I was to ask you about one of the blessings, it says to us that uh, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, in my fathers, and so forth. He gives to us in, 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 in the upper room discourse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Do you have peace? Can you lose your peace? This is yes. This is no. This is I don't know. Can you lose your peace? Yes and no. You see that? We had division among us. Can you lose Christ? One, one answer. I said, can you lose Christ? That's half of you. What's the matter? The rest of you need the gospel. You can't lose Christ. Where is your peace? It's in Christ. It says in Ephesians, He is our Peace. 
You see, we've separated what Jesus Christ gives to what Jesus Christ is. We have separated those. And we have asked the Lord for things that we thought were outside of Christ. But they're in Christ. We ask the Lord for strength. He is our strength. And go through the list. I've got, I've done it. That's why it's so passionate in my heart is to say, why do we come together and ask the Lord to be with us and bless us and guide us when He has done all those things for us? We should be a thanksgiving service. And when we've given thanks for a long time, then let's turn around and say, Lord, we need to lay a hold of you for this and that and the other thing. But if you don't know Christ, and if you don't know that He's given His person to you, and He's given His power to you, and He's given all of those things to you, you still are saying, Lord, be with us. And He must cry when you ask, we ask Him to bless us. And so you have in this 14, 14 different things the Lord has blessed us with. And you, you can know the list as much as I do. But he talks about our being adopted into the family. Are you adopted? Can you lose it? When was the last time you thanked him? The Holy Spirit has been given to us. When was the last time you thanked him for the Holy Spirit? Okay? But I'm concerned about verse 18. After he has talked all about this idea of the blessings that are mine in Christ, he says in verse 18, in the middle of his prayer... He says this, the eyes of your understanding, that's your mind, your capacity to think and reason and so forth, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. They were in darkness before you trusted Christ. Your mind was darkened. And now when you trust Christ as your Savior, we are enlightened. The eyes of your understanding, your capacity and ability to understand truth. He prays that you be awakened. And awakened to what? He said that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the grace of his inheritance in the saints. What did he say up here in verse, um, up in verse 11? In whom we have obtained an inheritance. Okay. That's one of the blessings. We have an inheritance. You have an inheritance in Christ, an inheritance that is given to us because you belong to Christ. What do you think about when you have an inheritance? Uncle Joe says to you, I've remembered you in my will. You're going to get something when I die. I'm giving you an inheritance. You say, oh, Uncle Joe. (laughs) We better keep an eye on him. And he goes on and buys a new BMW. My, he's spending my inheritance. How long is he going to live? An inheritance. You know, you look at the guy a little different and say, whoa, boy, <laughs> let me see, let me get my calculator out. He's 30 years older than I am. We look at it differently. That's our inheritance in Christ. And it's an inheritance, says Peter, that is reserved for us, which is un, which is uh, reserved in heaven for us. And that inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Wow! You should say, Lord, thank you for that inheritance. You've given me the seal of the, inher- the earnest of that inheritance, and one day I'll be absent from the body, but I don't want to go. I call the doctor and ask everybody to pray that I won't go to my inheritance. We do! We were at an assembly not too long ago, 90-some years old, and they were praying that he would get well. Let him go! A 97 years old, and he's sick, and they want to keep him. Let him go! Is that not realistic? Come on! Don't you believe in the inheritance, the other side of the grave? We are so occupied with this down here with what we can touch and taste and handle and so forth. An inheritance for us. And boy, we think that's great. But listen to what he says. He says in this verse, the riches of the glory of 
your inheritance in him. Whoa. He says, I've given you an inheritance in me. You are to give me an inheritance in you. Let me ask you, how's that? What's he going to gain? What has he gained by you being his inheritance? Is he? The riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. What has the Lord gained by getting you as his inheritance? <laughs> I mean, when you got saved, he could have raptured you. He would have saved himself a lot of problems if he'd have raptured you the moment you got saved. He would have, it would have been true of me anyway. I don't know about you. You know, have you been a wonderful inheritance for him? Have we stumbled and have we fallen? Have we been unfaithful? Have we not been what we should be? All of us are guilty. Most of you are guilty. But we are. But here he says, the riches of his glory. You know, there's three G's in the riches. There's the riches of his goodness in Romans chapter 4 and verse 2. Not knowing that the riches of his goodness leads you to repentance. Did you enjoy the riches of his goodness today? You don't need to answer. I'll tell you, you have. Did you pay anything for the air that you breathed all day? Did you pray for the rain that came down? Did you pray for the sunshine? Did you pray for the fact that when you sow some seed, it dies and it lives? All of that is his goodness. It's the same for the believer. It's the same for the unbeliever. That's the riches of his goodness. And I don't know that many of us came to Christ because God is so good. Most of us said, God's going to judge me. And I don't want to go to hell. I want Christ. <laughs> but there you have the riches of his goodness. One time. And then in the next few verses in Ephesians and Colossians, it speaks of the riches of his grace. <laughs> That's only for believers. The riches of his grace is what I have in Christ. It's part of the inheritance that I have in Christ, and it's grace. It's that which God gives me which I don't deserve, and it takes us a lifetime. I found 500 verses in the New Testament that talk about the riches of his grace. Why should I ask for anything else? <laughs> yes, sir. That's right. He's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace. That's right. And his kindness toward us in Christ. The angels can't say that. There's no salvation for the angels. Somebody sent me an email. I get lots of emails with questions, theological questions. Is there any repentance for Satan? Why doesn't he repent? God is so gracious. God is so merciful. <laughs> That's not there. So the riches of his goodness... The riches of his grace, but what about the riches of his glory? You know, half a dozen times he talks about God supply all your need according to the riches of his glory, which are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> You're going to be different when you get glorified. Did you know that? <laughs> He'll be pleased with you more than ever when he, when you are like him. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will appreciate and we will appropriate to, to a much greater degree what he has given to us and what we can be to him. We are his inheritance. I am Christ's inheritance. Think about it. How am I doing? I am, am I accumulating riches because I like things to touch and taste and handle? Or am I becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ? What are we here for? Well, why was Christ, why did Christ come? Christ came for the express, express purpose to reveal to, to, to reveal an unseen God. To make an invisible God visible in terms of his life. So that he could say to his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I can look at you and tell something about your Father. Some of your fathers didn't have many hair, much hair. I can tell you that. Your father's from India, right? Yes, I can tell you that just by looking at you. See? 
Why did Christ come? He came to make an invisible Christ, an invisible Father, an invisible God visible. And they could look at him and say, you remind me of God. You remind me of the Father. But it wasn't, it wasn't easy for the disciples. So why are you here? To accumulate riches and power and wisdom and position? We are here to make an invisible Christ visible in terms of our life. The ultimate goal for us as believers is Christ-likeness. And it's appropriating the blessings that he's given us. He's given us all of these resources, this wonderful inheritance available to us like a great warehouse that we can go under the throne of gifts and obtain mercy and find gifts to help in time of need. It's the same Greek word. We don't need anything else. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What's the rest of the verse? Through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and virtue. I am His inheritance. And then turn over a little bit to chapter 2 and verse 10. Chapter 2 and verse 10. He says, For we are His workmanship created unto Christ, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should Walk in them. You've been told by the great preachers that you have had come by here and say that the word is poem, from which we get our English word poem. That's a Greek word. And we are his work, we are his poem. We are his workmanship. There are three or four metaphors that help us understand that. Go to the potter's house, and when you go to the potter's house, he takes his piece of clay and he throws it on the wheel. And the amazing thing is that his foot pushes the, pushes the stone and the wheel goes round and round and round. Sometimes it goes too fast. Sometimes it doesn't go fast enough and we could say to the potter, what, what, what are you doing? Could you do a better job than that? And Paul uses that in Romans and says, why should the thing form say to him that formed me, why did you make me that way? We would all, be, all like to be a, you know, a Ming Dynasty vase or vase. Better if it's a vase. But he's made us what he wanted us to be. And we are his workmanship. His foot is the one that takes care of the circumstances. But then his hands. Those hands never seem to, 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 to leave that piece of clay. But the potter has in his mind something he wants to transfer from the invisible to the visible. And that's exactly what he's done for us. He wants to translate the invisible, that is Christ-likeness, to visibility so that people say, you remind me of Christ. The highest compliment you can receive is you remind me of Christ. Not you're a great preacher. Not your great Sunday school teacher. You're so you're uh, you're so uh, charitable. You're a great you know giver or all these things. The highest compliment we can receive, which glorifies God, because that vase or vase has His signature on it. Goes into the fire and becomes permanent. Isn't that true? I mean, it's a wonderful metaphor. I don't have time to go into it, but there are so many other. We are his workmanship. Do we let him? Do we let him pinch and squeeze and twist? And, you know, it's a lot of trial and difficulties to be a piece of clay. Just a piece of clay. That's all we are. But we're more like a piece of clay than we are like God. The distance between me and God is infinite. Because I'm man and he's God. But the distance between me and the dirt... It's very close, because I was made out of that stuff. And so it is. We are His workmanship. Created and invisible to the visible. So that people will know that Jesus Christ is alive. To know that He was raised from the grave. Not just on Easter, but today. And so you, you can understand that, can't you? We are His 
inheritance. We are responsible for whether it's a wonderful spiritual production that we give ourselves to him and he is glorified in what we do and say. Or we do it for ourselves. And I am his workmanship. I know I make a mess out of it. I can tell you that. You know that already just by my being here. But God's still working on me. I don't know about you. He's still got so much to do to make me like Christ. So that when people hear you, they hear Christ. When they see you, they see Christ. That's the whole purpose. We are here for exactly the same reason that Christ came. Whether it was turning water into wine or whether it was dying and being raised from the grave. We are his inheritance. We are his workmanship. And then the third one, and with that one we'll call it a night. And it says in chapter 2 in verse 22... Chapter 2, verse 22. Let's read verse 21. Whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also as individuals are being built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. When you pray, Lord, be with us, you're saying, the Lord doesn't in me. I mean, I cannot tell them many times I sit there and somebody asks the Lord to be with the preacher. If the Lord's not with the preacher, the preacher's lost. You got a lost preacher. We are a habitation. We are a dwelling place. We provide a dwelling place for him. He provides a dwelling place for us. You'll find it in John chapter 14. In my father's house are many. Careful, careful, careful. No mansions. You want to compare your shack with uh, the mansion you think you're going to get. That's that's not it. The word is dwelling places. I think it's a resurrection body. I'm going to prepare a resurrection body for you, and you will dwell in that resurrection body. Because I live, you shall live also. And we will be like his own glorious body. He could build a house for you out of gold, silver, and precious stone without a death and resurrection. But he can't build you a glorious body like his own without the death and resurrection. And he says, I'm going to build a place for you. Verse 22 says, we will come and make our mansion. Go look in the mirror, see if your body is a mansion. Some of us, you know, but those are both there in John chapter, only two times that those two words, that one word is used in those two verses. He provides a mansion, a dwelling place for my body, and I play right up, I provide a place for him to dwell. What about your mind? You have the mind of Christ. That's what it says. You have the emotions of Christ. You have the will of God. Amazing what he has provided to live in this body. Forgot to turn it off. Sorry about that. Let me ask you, how's the habitation? Are you happy with your habitation, a dwelling place for God? You will be very pleased with the habitation He'll make for you. But today, during this time, right today in our lives, we are Building a habitation of God for God. He's given us the resources. He's given us the gifts and the ability, the wealth, the inheritance. All of that is given to us in order that he might have a comfortable home. You sit down to watch television, you pick up the remote, and you choose something you want to watch. And what does he say? I don't want to watch that. You didn't hear him? Of course you didn't hear him. You're not, we're not listening to him, but he says, I don't want to watch that. Why don't we uh, get a good uh, biography of, uh, of some missionary and read that together? Well, why don't you get your Bible and let's read that together? You can watch a movie and you'll learn how to be a hypocrite. That's true. That's what those movies are all about. Christian movies are the same. It teaches you how to be a hypocrite. Because God hates hypocrisy. He hates acting. 
And we give an award to the person that does the best job of being somebody they're not. And we soak our soul in those movies and we walk away and say, boy, I can be somebody I don't want to... That they don't know who I am. Is this too hard? Did you bring your steel-toed shoes with your sandals? You see? We are His workmanship. We are His inheritance. We are His habitation. We're His house. He dwells in us. He wants us to listen to Him. The Holy Spirit takes up His residence in our lives. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift it is that God has given us His Holy Spirit to live in us. Every day we should say thank you. For the gift of your Holy Spirit. Well, I owe you 12 minutes. You see, after looking at all of those blessings that he lists in Ephesians chapter 1, he says in the midst of his prayer, I want you to appreciate and appropriate the riches of his glory because you are the inheritance that belongs to Christ. And then he says you are his workmanship created from nothing to something in Christ Jesus that the good works will be manifested and people will know that we've been with Jesus and learned of him and you are his habitation his dwelling place it's not a choice it takes place the moment you believe he comes to take up your body as a residence and all of Christ All of Christ comes to live in you. So when you think of all that you have in Christ, don't forget to ask yourself, what does Christ have in me? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for the amazing blessings that you have given to us. We stand in in awe and reverence that you would entrust to these mortal beings, these bodies of clay, your Son's presence. Oh, to understand and know Christ in me, the hope of glory, to have Him resident in us, for His mind to direct our mind, for His emotions to stir our emotions, for His will to um, control our will. Father, we thank You for these resources, these blessings that are all ours, So that we will be an inheritance that will make our Savior pleased. That we will be this work of art that will radiate and reflect His presence in us. And that uh, we will be a house where He will dwell with joy, with love, and with peace. Thank you for meeting with us. You said you would be here. Your presence has been acknowledged by our faith, and there are a few, perhaps, who have heard your voice in their lives and will alter their behavior. Thank you for blessing us so richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.